All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of Hawk Talk. We're coming directly off. This is an instant recap of the game following the Davidson matchup where we, we lost a tough one off the, of that last second Sam Meninga foul on Eric Reynolds. And we are lucky to be joined by someone with intimate knowledge of what it's like to be a coach in college basketball in, at a very high level and understand what it's like to sometimes lose in those types of situations it's a great job to have and it's also a really challenging job to have at the same time when you lose tough ones like that ladies and gentlemen we're lucky to be joined by coach john gallagher um st joe's hawk alum and college basketball uh quite a quite a story he's had uh recently with everything that's gone over gone on over at hartford basketball um, so John's lucky to we're lucky enough to have John join us today. So John, how you doing? Peter, Tony, thanks for having me. Uh, obviously, um, college basketball, this is when it really heats up after the Super Bowl. So we're in a situation where uh, you can feel the energy. March is coming. Uh, and it's it's a, it's just something uh, it's why it's the best sport out there. You know, college basketball presents us with uh the best you know my opinion tournament um and obviously the first weekend uh is so special but this is the time when conference you know seating gets really heated up and uh just a, it, it is the best uh best sport to be a part of absolutely it is the best time of year and for those whose year ends shortly it can also be the worst time of year and as someone who's coached at Hartford and also in the Big Five, uh, what what's your shift in mindset as you approach, you know, as you approach March? What what's going on in your your the locker room? What's going on in practices? What's different? Yeah, I I think one of the things that jumps out at you as I got older in coaching um, is the energy. You know, the shortening of practices, the um, you know, the sort of the family, you got to really love being around guys because in March, if you don't, it, it, it can turn ugly fast. And uh, you want to make sure your team is playing its best basketball. And uh, I think to do that, uh, first off, you have to have good players. Okay. Uh, you got to have players. And then second off, you have to have players that are willing uh to really sacrifice for one another. Uh, and after you get to that point, the formula is pretty easy because, um, you know, you can, you can play any defense you want, you can do any offense you want, but you got to want to be around each other. And if you're not at this time of year, you want to be around each other. You know, I, I always used to say to our teams, at the end of February, 100 teams in America want to quit. 100. So one-third want to go home. Okay. We have to be one of the, the other two-thirds that want to keep playing. And uh, I think at the end, last five years, we made the Final Four. Two of the five, we were in the championship game. One got canceled because of COVID. The other one, we won. I think early in my career, you know, I didn't, I didn't quite have my formula down or, like I say, is how to cook in the kitchen. Uh, you know, we were trying too many uh, recipes. Uh, and I think that's just – you know, as you get your scars in coaching, as you, you really get your scars, 
Um, you understand what wins for you. Uh, and you can listen to, you know, what I used to say is that, you know, if you're a young head coach and you're listening to all these podcasts and you're listening to Ken Palm and you're listening to, it, it's, it, you, you can listen to 10% of it, 20% of it. But usually your assistant to you have the formula. Usually you, you, you know, I've been in basketball 25 years. Uh, I, could, I can look at all the stats in the world. At the end of the day, what's in that locker room and what they're playing for means more to any Ken Palm number in the world. Yeah, Coach, you bring up a lot of excellent points there. Um, and I think you sell yourself short a bit too. Uh, You're the all-time most winning coach at Hartford during your time there. And you got caught short in what was a tragic year for college basketball in general. And we weren't able to see how the season would have ended for you guys. But um, yeah, really interesting insights as far as like getting the recipe right. I think St. Joe's this season, we've seen at times their ability to get the recipe right. But today it felt like we 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 almost lost the game. We did that. To, that loss happened. We did that to ourselves, I think. I think we. So, uh, you know, if, if we're going to shift over to St. Joe's, because obviously Billy and uh, John Lenahan, you know, John Lenahan was on my staff. Um, you know, I. I you know, when Billy and I talked about when he was going to hire John, I went through everything. And in my opinion, uh, there's no, first off, there's no greater, like Billy's a special, special guy. But John Lenahan, to me, uh, you know, he's, he's on my all-time top 10 list. And that includes cousins, that includes, you know, family. You know, if you're on my all-top 10 list and, uh, you know, when I, so – and listen, Billy really helped me when we were about to get fired here, you know, seven years ago, six years ago. And uh, you can see, like I, I said to him a couple of weeks ago, you can feel, you can feel, when you look at St. Joe's, you can feel the program is alive. Uh, I don't care about the scoreboard. So like when you're a coach, this is what I like to say. You're at 30,000 feet. That's the program. And you're on the ground. When you land the plane, that's your team. Okay. The program and the team intertwine in the air and on the ground, in the air, on the ground, in the air, on the ground, in the air, on the ground. But the reality is, the reality is the programs here, you have to run your program and you have to coach your team. Okay. Two separate things. If you go into my wall in my office or whatever next job I get, it's on the top wall is run your program, coach your team. Coaching your team is those 13 guys in the locker room. Running your program is the community service, the marketing, all that stuff. It's outside the locker room. It can be in the locker room because somebody might disrespect the program. In your locker room, you have to address that. But that is the combination of coaching your team and running your program. So. At the 30,000 feet of St. Joe's basketball, it's really healthy. And I, Look, I don't need to read anything. I can go and look at my eyes, watch the game today for 40 minutes. Look, these experiences, like when Coach Martelli, we lost three straight seasons after the Sweet 16 team. The next year was the, was the run. I can feel that coming with St. Joe's right now. I can feel that. 
And that is something, these losses are hard, but they also make you into the winner you're going to be next year. And I, that's how I see it. And look, I don't need any uh, notes or I can just tell you, this is what I do for a living. I watch 15 games a day, 15 games of the day. The team that St. Joe's is going to be is an NCAA tournament team next year. It's a deep, it's a, it's a really, you know, the kid they got on the bench from France, they got Reynolds. They, they have really good pieces. So at 30,000 feet, let's be excited. At the same time, on a loss today, as a fan, we can be pissed. <laughs> but we can't lose sight of where the program's going. That's my, that's my plea to everybody out there, is the reality is it's in what we see and not how we feel. Pete, I'm going to jump in here with a question because I, first of all, really like that. It was great. Um but the, my question is for you as like a coach, because you're kind of t- you're mentioning this, you know, when you're doing all that, what's keeping you up more at night? Is it the fact that you have to run the ship that is the program or is it the the day to day? What's our next opponent? What's our X's and O's for this week? You know, what, what do you think is more of a challenge for coaches, um, especially now with you're way more involved? There's, you know, every team's got someone covering them on a granular level. Um, yep. So, yeah, like, a little background on that. So, if that's possible. so. I'll dive into it. Like what I talked to Porter about the other day, uh, Porter Moser at, at Oklahoma is one of my best friends. He's in a, he's in a spot right now, right? Where he's in the big 12. He beats Alabama. They're number two in the country. And then he gets to go on the road. He has gauntlet games every night, gauntlet games. I mean, nine of the 10 teams are top 30 uh, net that he's going against. He doesn't have a team that's not a top 30 net team. He doesn't have a – and he's got NLI issues, right? Because you got to get players at that level at the NLI. And you got the transfer portal. And you have basically now on your roster at that level, including St. Joe's, you have what you call companies. Everybody's their own LLC now, Okay. That's what you're dealing with in college basketball, college football. So either guys like me, we pack up and we go decide to go get a job at a private equity firm, or we go be insurance agents, or we learn how to adapt, okay? And if we love basketball, we love coming in the gym, we're going to adapt. And I said to Porter, listen, you are going into the SEC next year. You're going to be prepared. This is a six-year changing of everything. And I would say this to all the St. Joe's fans, like I would say to the Oklahoma fans. This is a changing of the business. And if you don't feel excited about what you saw and what is happening about the players, I don't know what to tell you. But at the end of the day, the only way you lose is if you lose excitement for what's you see, if, if they were losing by 25, like I said to uh, Dick Girardi the other day, I'm excited about St. Joe's. I get excited when I watch them, okay? Uh, you know, I had a long talk with Porter about this the other day. Just pour your heart in the, into the program. And we, they won the other night. You can feel it. You can feel the energy. 
Same thing with St. Joe's. It, they lost a hard game tonight. Two years ago, that's, I mean, we, we know where it was. It's, you could see the program. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. But college basketball forever will be changed. It's the NLI. It's the transfer portal. It's your assistant coaches staying on message. It's your weekly 9 a.m. meeting with your staff. Here's the message of the week. It's your 10 a.m. meeting on Friday. Did we get the things done in the program that matter? 9 a.m. Monday, 10 a.m. Friday, we are rolling this program. It doesn't matter if you win or lose. Coaching your team's different. Every day, you know, they're, they're, they're your intricacies. So what keeps you up at night is both. Because your infrastructure of your program is, is so key. And that's the thing I've learned off of Billy Lang more than anything is the infrastructure, is the systems, is the, you know, is, is that. And if, look, I'm a nobody. I'm just a college basketball guy that is watching four games on a, at a time, seeing this play, seeing this, taking notes. I got pages and pages of notes of different plays that I'm going to run when I get my net, next head coaching job. At the end of the day, are you excited about what you see or not? It's that simple. You might not be excited about the, the ending of that game, but you got we have great pieces in the program. We got to get some bench scoring. We all know that. But at the end of the day, we're coming. Wow. If, if you aren't fired up watching the game, uh, I, I, I hope you're fired up after listening to some of uh, Coach Gallagher sharing his thoughts. I love the mile, sort of the mile up perspective that you give as a coach as someone who's been the sort of the, the, the pilot while also having to navigate the players on the, on the ground um, really really interesting insights um, so as far as St. Joe's you know you, you talk about how you, you're excited for the program and you're able to see just from just from an eye test is what I would say it is that there's something to be excited for there's something that's building and it's actually going to some something's going to happen next year where we're going to see something on the floor of results, and that could be in March. That could we'll see something. What yep. what is it that you're you're able to specifically say that you know that something's there? Well, look, you got Reynolds, right? Uh, Greer will be a year older, and he'll have an identity. I mean. The kid uh, slipping my name because I, I go by numbers because I watch 50 games a day. 13. Who's 13? Uh, Rashir, maybe? Might be Edge The shooter, he banged a huge three at the end. Um, let me get this. Because, l- listen, I- I'll be honest. I-, I watch their schemes more than their personnel. And when I – like, I'll tell you what. Billy called the timeout down five, right? Down yeah. five. And they get to the rim. They get to the rim. It was great coaching. I mean, unbelievable coaching. And foul, and they got back in the game, get into the rim, get into the rim. And look, at the end of the day. Uh, it's like, filming, by the way. Don't mean to interrupt, but it's Rashir. Rashir wears 13 for those who are listening. And he's the, he's the guy that Billy's really excited about, correct? Yeah. Yeah. They said multiple times today that they think he could be one of the best Hawks to play on uh, Hawk Hill. Uh, you know what? I, I, I have, and this is no joke, I have. Uh, a, a TV here. I got a computer here. I got an iPad here. I got three games. 
I don't listen to anything. I'm just watching three games. And I was really – I didn't know they said that. I'm going to say something. I had no idea who was doing the game. Um, that kid so, is going to be so special. That kid is going to be special. So if you want to know, if I'm, like, if I'm watching the game, Reynolds and him are, have to be next year two of the best five to ten players in, that, in the Atlantic 10. Can play anywhere in America. So they're the two reasons. But at the end of the day, you could see the fight. You could see the stick to itiveness. You could see the resiliency. Um, so I think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you could see the personnel, but you can also see the program, the team, the energy, uh, the excitement. So, you know, I wore my Hawk Hill hat. Uh, that, you know, I was wearing it during the game. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, you could see the excitement in the program. That's awesome. Um, so I, I know you're wearing your Hawk Hill hat. Um, I want to sort of take another big picture question here for you. Sort yep. of like thinking about the big five and big five basketball. I know you were an assistant at Penn and LaSalle, played at St. Joe's under Phil Martelli. Um, as we're, you know, we're shifting gears almost or shifting businesses where we have Billy Lang at St. Joe's, we have Kyle Neptune at Villanova, we have Fran Dumphy at LaSalle. Um, and, uh, the, you I think you also coached for a while with Steve Donahue at Penn. Yep. What, what do you see as we talk about the big five a lot here? What do you see as the path forward to the big five sort of? rekindling some of the magic of the past because i think for us we again we talk about the big five a lot we really care about big five basketball and uh recently there was some news where the big five would become um officially the city six and they would have a uh tournament or yeah a tournament game sort of not a single elimination robin sort of tournament at the wells fargo center where they would pop, group teams into two pods and they would um they would all play during the season and then they would be ranked and then play each other at the Wells Fargo. I guess my question is maybe talk about your experience of the Big Five and sort of that magic of being around the Big Five. You worked on you coach you were coached by Phil Martelli, worked with some really great you're you're a Big Five product. So yeah, we're curious to hear your insights there. Yeah, first off, my time with Phil Martelli was so special. I mean, just a, such a special guy, his family, the people, uh, you know, the people in the program, uh, Monte Ross, Matt Brady, um, just really, uh, you know, the coaches. So uh, I wanted to say, like, and they always say to me, what did you learn the most from Phil Martelli? I would just say his unconditional love for his players. Guy really motivated. Was an unbelievable motivator. Tremendous out of timeout coach. Tremendous. Maybe one of the best I've ever been around. Um, also, just has great heart, great love. Uh, so I must say that. And my love for St. Joe's uh, has a lot to do with him. And uh, you know, I, I will for, forever be indebted for that experience. Um, now shifting to the present day Big Five, obviously. Steve Dunny is, you know, one of my mentors and 
one of my close friends and probably talk to him you know, three times, four times a week. So in saying that, something had to be done. You know, you had to light a match. You had to get the energy back. Uh, I love the idea of including Drexel. Um, you know, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I think it could bring, bring great excitement. It, it could really uh, help. I think uh, this conference realignment, look, at the end of the day, I, I look back at 96, 97, when I played at St. Joe's. Think about how long ago that is now. I'm an old man now. But, and I saw, you know, one of the great guards that ever played at St. Joe's was Rashid Bay and Yaha Davis. And uh, when we played, there was five teams in it from the Atlantic 10 in the NCAA tournament, five. When in the second round, we played Boston College, who was the Big East champion. So Boston College is the Big the Big East got five. So the heyday of the Atlantic 10 was when we were we were playing. And uh, I look back and can it ever get back there? It's an interesting question. It's very interesting. Here's the issue. And, and, and this is something someone else smarter than me is going to have to figure out. But I know the questions they ask. Okay. I just don't know the answers. How do you have these these leagues, let's just go with it, 14 to 16 teams, okay? By the real algorithm numbers and math, 14 is going to beat five sometimes, okay? And that can't happen. And that's the problem. So what you have is the Big East has the smartest formula right now because – they don't have 16 teams. If you threw 16 teams in the Big East, you'd have a problem. I look at the ACC. They somehow have the formula right now. They're, I mean, I see Joe Lenardi's list. They have seven, eight teams. West Virginia, I think, is eighth or ninth in the Big 12. They went to Pittsburgh and won by 40. I watched the game. The best team, the top three team in the ACC – if you put them into the Big 12 and you moved Oklahoma to the ACC, Oklahoma, Pittsburgh, maybe better. So that's, that's my thing about college basketball right now. It's what league are you in? Somehow the numbers are what the numbers are, and it is what it is. And unfortunately, with the Atlantic 10, it, what we're looking at, you know, because I'm an Atlantic 10 fan, is – is there a scheduling guy out there that can help the league come February 1st that says, here's the next month's schedule? I'm serious because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we have, we have to get more than like today they, they said one or two teams in, right? Is that one? Yeah. First time since 2005. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, you know, Mike Rhodes is a guy that could have taken high major jobs. And, you know, Chris Mooney's won. And I know Chris is uh, he's a very good friend. And uh, my prayers are out to him. A special, special guy. First met him when I was 18 years old at Speedy Mars camp. And my prayers are with Chris because he's 
one of the all-time great college basketball guys. But back to the Atlantic 10, is like you have great, great coaches. Uh, I mean, the guy at Duquesne is a, is a winner, man. That guy can win games. Uh, you know, the, 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 the league, Dayton, great, great program. It just seems to me, if you're the odd team out, it's a hard, you know, it's, it's just, it's hard. Atlantic 10 versus the Big East, you can't have the conversation anymore. Yeah. And it's interesting because if you look at that middle of the 810, it's just an absolute traffic jam of teams with seven wins and seven losses. And that doesn't, that doesn't really help the, the hierarchy. The pecking order hasn't really come out to play um, like you would want it to, where you have that core three at the top and then you have the rest of the league playing in different segments and such. Um, very, you know, it's the old, it's the old, uh, I forget. I, I, I'm not going to remember who said this, but it's, um, uh, somebody gave me this quote a couple weeks ago when I was talking about this. And they said to me, uh, John, when you look for parody, don't confuse it for mediocrity. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And we all wanted parody in college basketball, right? And I, I, I'll, forget, I'll, I'll remember who sent it to me. I'll text you guys. We can put it in the podcast notes. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, we wanted this 25 years ago. You wanted it, yeah. But at the end, it's not. It, it ends up not being good for certain leagues. Yeah. The Mountain West. The Mountain West blew up last week. New Mexico loses at Air Force, and then loses to Wyoming. It's it, that's the thin line in this business now. And yeah. uh, you know, uh, it, it's just it just is such a it's such a close. Uh, how do you get into the, the like? How does you even get into the the final four of Joe Lenardi's? What's the you know? It's fascinating to me. I obviously there's there's numbers, and you got to win quad win game quad one games. So that that begs the question. You know, I was with James Jones from Yale the other night at recruiting. I'm just out all the time. I said to James, "Do you think the Ivy's going to get two teams?" I mean, by 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 it's just now it's it's just jumping leagues now it's a top 13 league if you know they're what 70 in the in the net if they didn't lose a pen last night they jump up you know pen is the team that what if pen has a a top 25 team right and they could i mean the way steve's been recruiting let's say next year they they have a breakthrough team right they're going to have opportunities because the big the, now the city six and the way Steve schedules. And uh, you know there was a time where Steve had won eight straight high major games, and nobody he wouldn't allow anybody to talk about it because he didn't want it out right. there. But he he won eight straight high major games. I mean that's hard to do. Yeah, you don't want to scare away right as you say you don't want to scare away those opponents right. If you start bragging Correct. about it, no one's going to play you. <laughs> so he wouldn't even talk about it with anybody. Yeah. Never forget, New Mexico called him and, you know, he got a guarantee from New Mexico. And I think they won the game by 30 and he got paid like 80 grand. And I'll never forget. I was like, Steve, someone has to just tweet this out. And he goes, I'll, I won't talk to you if you tweet it out. I said, I'm not tweeting it out. Surprised Ross seen there's someone like that. Yeah. No, he would. We, it was like, 
now it's over. I think they've lost a couple. But the point is, is a couple years ago, he had won eight, eight straight high major games. Can the Ivy – like, I just know this. You know, your league better have the great scheduling infrastructure and the right algorithms because it's – again, you need an MIT guy to figure this out. Yeah. Um, want to take it down to the more granular level, if you don't mind, and yep. Pete, if you don't mind as well. Um, I kind of want to ask this question because I've never really spoken to a coach about this and it's always intrigued me, but when you're actually in the middle of a game and everyone always just says, oh, why didn't you make adjustments? It's so easy to make adjustments on the fly. I've always wanted to know how hard is it to make adjustments when you're actually coaching a game? Because everyone makes it sound like it's so easy to do. And I guarantee you, when you're actually standing on the floor, you don't get a TV eye view, right? You're level with everyone. You're watching it from a certain viewpoint. Yeah, how hard is it to make those adjustments when you're actually in the middle of the game and the clock's running and you only have a minute to talk to everyone? You know, I, I, it's a great question. Like when I when, when Steve Pica was at Stony Brook, right? And there were no changing of anything Steve did. He was just going to do what he does, and he's doing it now at Rutgers. And there's a beauty to that. There's a beauty to that. This is who we are. This is what we're going to do. And see if you can stop me, right? And, uh, you know, in all the success Steve had, he's one of the best coaches in the country. He's a lifetime contract at Rutgers. He's got one Americas title, okay? And the reason is it's so hard to win in March, okay? So when I say this to you, like, you know, John Becker has, what, five five championships, okay? and at the end of the day, you know, John, so, sort of similar to, to Steve in this, is like, this is who they are. This is what they do. And you have to be ready if they make an adjustment. And, you know, if they somehow come back and hard hedge like he did in his first four years, you have to be ready for it. Or if, you know, in your mind, you have to play games out in your head. Now, for me, do I, I'm a guy that, I do do different things. I do, you know, John Chaney's one three one. I will run that in a spot in a game where people will think I'm nuts. Because my team, when we, if you don't, here's what I'll, I'll answer that. If you don't practice game adjustments in practice, this is what we're doing, your players will never. My players got to the, got to the time where, you know, one of my players is now on Danny Hurley's staff at, at UConn, J.R. Lynch, great player from Hudson Catholic. And I liked it on a made basket. I would go to one three one. I would go to our rover. And like one time he came down the sideline, he said, stop going to rover, right? And so I stopped, I stopped, and I went back to it the last possession. We win the game. And, he, and we had a conversation about it. And the end-all, be-all is you have to have a team that can handle the transition of in-game. Championship game. Uh, we were not going to play 1-3-1 because I thought UMass Lowe was really too good at attacking it. We went to two possessions. We got two stops. We played it the rest of the game. So I think in this scheme of in-game adjustments, I think 
it's very simple. What ball screen coverage are you changing? Okay. Are you going to surprise them? Are you a surprise type of team? Okay. And then is it pressing and then double in the post? They're the games you, you have. They're the adjustments you have. You know, double in the post. And then ball screen coverage is something, you know, I always go back to the Gonzaga-Davidson uh, game in the early 2000s uh, when Steph Curry was on that team when they made the grade eight run. The first round opponent was Gonzaga. They're down nine in the game. And Bob McKillop, who hasn't trapped the ball screen, he traps the ball screen, steal, layup, seven. Then the game got close and they win. If you go back and look at that play and study that play, you have to have the gumption for the back of letter, for the lack of a better term, to do that. And that's what, you know, in my year off, I think you have to have the ability to make that in-game adjustment. Wow, really, really interesting things. Uh, it made me think about how m- many different coaching styles there are, like someone like Mark Schmidt at Bonaventure who they say has like a hundred different plays he can run up versus someone who you just described who who has a game plan and they, they sort of stick with it and they make other people adjust for them. It's very, very, very interesting. I, and it's funny. Like I had, uh, you know, this year alone, I have my starting four men went to Sacramento state. He start for Sac state. My point guard is the starting he was out all year. He goes to Cal Berkeley. He has 33 in his first game back. So I watched Cal Berkeley. I've watched Sac State. My shooting, the best wing four-man shooter I've ever coached in my life is David Shriver from VCU. Okay. Uh, Mike Rhodes was in my office recruiting like I was a high school coach. It was him. It was like four other schools. And I'll never forget, I was in there. I just said, Rhodes, I've known you for 20 years. How are you going to play him? So we're going to play them this way. And they are. Uh, Moses Flowers is with Mark Schmidt at uh, at Bonaventure. He scored 1,000 points uh, in, in a couple weeks ago. And then my my probably my best player uh, of them all is out for the year for Florida International, Austin Williams. He had high majors on him. He'll play next year. I've watched all these teams. Okay? And it's fascinating the different styles. It's fascinating how different players are fitting well. Some aren't fitting so well, but they're adjusting, and now they're playing great in February. So it's, it's to, to add to your point, there's all these guys. Like Shriver to me is a guy, if BCU gets to the NCAA tournament, he can, get, he can get them a win because his ability to shoot the ball is as good as anybody I've ever seen. BCU with quite a, quite a team there with those two Michigan transfers, Schreiber and with Mike Rhodes, that defense, man, sometimes that defense just looks incredible. And you got to tip your hat to uh, uh, Jimmy Martin. the Fordham program. Fordham oh. program. I mean, they that he's done a he's done a great job, Keith. And uh, you know, I knew he was going to do a good job. I spent a couple days with him down at Florida Gulf Coast at the coaches clinic in August, and he really, really was excited about his team. So. Uh, tip your hat to Fordham. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. They're playing VCU right now, so that'll be that'll be an awesome matchup to 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 look in to see how 
you know, the top of the A10 looks during such a, a weird year. Um, and it's a year where we're, we only have one bid, but I think all the teams are competitive in a way where at any given night, you don't know who's going to win. I think every they showed a circle that every team sort of beaten one of the other teams who beat another team. But um, Yeah, and that's where I think if you're a St. Joe's fan, you sit back and you say, look, we got through all this stuff, right? Transfer, you know, different tra- – and now the program looks like – I watch it. I went down to the alumni game, and I'm thinking to myself, man, there's players on the floor. <laughs> there's players out of here. I mean, let's – Let's just be happy we, you know, we can, like, Billy's done a great job putting this team together. We have a kid sitting on the bench that everyone's, look, and I've been in that spot where everyone's signing, like, you know, let's go here. But at the end of the day, it's here. Let's be happy. Let's support. Let's love. That's my message. That's excellent. Uh, I was going to ask, you know, what your closing message was for the team. Uh, out of respect for your time. Um, for those who don't know, just Coach Gallagher has an awesome career at Hartford, one of the strangest stories in Division One basketball with what Hartford decided to do for their program. I recommend you go read about it. Uh, we're really lucky to have Coach Gallagher here sharing his thoughts, just like really like a, a cognitive perspective that I don't think most fans who have listened to this podcast have ever gotten. So we're just extremely lucky. Um, so well, I would, I would, I would say this: like time and score. College basketball coaches really understand time and score better than anybody. And if you're the Eagles fan, like I am, you onside kick it because you know Kansas City scoring. You do not kick away. You onside kick it there, thirty-five all. Because if they score, even if you get a holding penalty, like we got, there's three minutes left, not a minute and a half left. That's my two cents in football. And uh, I've been in the, that debate for a while. Steve Levy's the one that gave me that, by the way. So shout out to Steve because I actually agree with him. But I, I do want to finish with this because uh, Billy means so much to me. Look, when, six years, seven years ago when we were down and out, Billy really helped my program. And, and I, I can only say this, like uh, when you put your eyes on college basketball programs, are they alive today? St. Joe's is alive. They're lively. They're gonna. They're gonna have a great run in March. I'm telling you. I put my life on it. Right. That's how much I believe in Billy and believe in John Linehan and believe in the staff and believe in everybody. And uh, you know, I, I I watch them and I see a future. And uh, you know, I watch so much college basketball. And if you told me. Who are you the most excited about next year in college basketball? I would name two or three teams. The first one I would name would be St. Joe's. So, uh, you know, I, 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 this is my year off. I've never been more excited to see, you know, where the Lord takes me, the Holy Spirit takes me next year, because I'm excited to get back into it. First job was 99. I'm out of it. I mean, that's for, you know, first time I got in college basketball was 96. And I've never had a year like this. And uh, I'm thankful for so many people at St. Joe's. And uh, I'm blessed that I played for Phil Martelli. I'm blessed. Billy Lang's one of my best friends. And um, uh, it's, a, it's a great place. It's a great 
uh, program, and uh, I'm excited about its future. Well, we're really blessed and fortunate to have you on today, Coach Gallagher, and we're we're certainly confident that we'll be seeing you on the floor again soon, and we're excited to see that too. So, I always I always wanted to finish a podcast. I haven't said this in a while. The hawk will never die. Feet are muted. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, what a way to end the episode there with Coach Gallagher there. The Hawk will never die. I mean, the guy had really awesome insights and just like, just really, I, I didn't even want to talk. I wanted to just listen to him the whole time. So, I agree. Uh, but Tony and I, we, you know, we've been away from each other for quite a while. So we we have to get a post game, our post game reactions in. Coach Gallagher, he shared some really high, high level stuff, but now it's time to get into the, the nitty gritty of this honestly really tough loss. I, I almost was like, I don't want to talk to anyone after that, after that loss. I was like, uh, no, I don't really want to talk to anyone. <laughs> Even though we had set up an interview with coach Gallagher. I'd, um, but, and now I'm forcing you to talk about it, but here, <laughs> here, here I am reliving my trauma. <laughs> it's um, the only way out, <laughs> but okay. If there, if there's one good thing from today, how about HK shooting five for th- six from the line? How about they look nice. They weren't like bouncing all the way around the rim. They went whoop, right in and he had some good moves. He traveled a little bit. We all could well, see well, it. Travels here and, there. and I was going to say this about the game and I tweeted it out from the Hawk talk account um, about like, yeah, like it stinks when the refs make the call like that at the end of the game. But to be fair to the fact that we had some weird calls get favorably placed in our direction. So like, we can't complain that much that travel against foster lawyer to bring it within two. I mean, come on, really? So the refs are clearly making up a little bit that happens with referee crews. They try to take calls to level the playing field. It's not always going to be level. That's why there's a human aspect to this game. We're not, we don't have robots calling the fouls. Like there's a human, you know, piece to it. Um, But the thing that, there are some highlights. Like I think uh, Matt Gifford tweeted out like Rashir and Obina, like they, they really did play very, very well. And Fleming had a couple issues with, and I, I didn't bring this up with coach, but Fleming continues to leave his feet on defense. Stop, stop jumping. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be more effective. If your, your feet are planted, your arms are up and you're, you're not going to foul. And by not jumping, you're not going to let your defender get around you. Stay planted. Use your height. You've got great length. He had that one block where he reached behind him to get it. Like he had a crazy twisted his arm around to get the block. It was a great block. And it's like, you can make that adjustment to stay on your feet, keep the defender in front of you as long as you can without jumping. Like you're not going to block every shot in the world. Um, I think that's really important, but yeah. Obina had a really good game, really good pick and roll um, options. Uh, Reynolds, who was quiet at the start, they had him blanketed for a very long time. He kind of found his groove. I love that attack on the baseline, turns the corner, runs up the baseline, does the reverse layup. Um, We get either a foul call or we go in. Those were some good looks. But there's just that one stretch in the the second quarter where we're just settling for jumpers. I I did a very scientific control F on the play-by-play in ESPN where it logs like layup, jumper. 42 jumpers to the seven layups in the second quarter. Like we're just, you know, we're just taking outside shots and, um, you know, that's you're settling versus what was happening in the first half where, yeah, we have some big threes. 
but those are peppered in with Obina pick and rolls, Lynn Greer getting a couple good layups to start the game. Um, Eric Reynolds getting there, some a Rashir Fleming dunk that was really good off a Christian Winborn bounce pass. So there were some highlights, there were some good plays in the game, but again, um, we did not come out and bounce back from that loss earlier this week. And we, you know, we've doubled up on losses and it, it's gonna hurt us um because there's not that many games left. Yeah, yeah. I thought um sort of a a weird day when you you only have five year guys score, but they're all scoring in double digits. So Rashir was really able to get to um get get some good shots up. I thought his his I've said this all year, his form looks fine. Um, but there are some times when, you know, on the the offensive end it feels like he could be doing a little bit more for us. Um, but I, I think overall great game from him. Lynn struggled a little bit today. Um, uh, five from eleven from the field. I thought he I I would expect like a little bit more from him. Um, and then Reggie I thought had an awesome game. We actually shot from the line better than Davidson does, considering that the fact the fact that they beat us from the line, like the, to win the game. I thought that's pretty interesting. But um yeah, I think today was just a tough one. Like we could blame maybe you could blame some tough calls on the Duquesne game as to like why we weren't able to get back in it. But today felt a lot like no, we we let Davidson get back into it. And we weren't able to close the game out late. And that's what happens when you have, you know, five guys on the court at a given time who can, who you really feel comfortable with. I think our bench isn't that deep. I think Winborn's an awesome, awesome player, but he seems to always get into really, really bad foul trouble. I I, I see him almost as a, a liability sometimes because he can, he gets bumped really easily or he bumps the offender really easily. And that leads to some, our foul total just quietly going up and up. Yep. I agree. Um, we need Casper back. We definitely need Casper back. Kind of now we have Fleming and Winborn coming off the bench, not just one of those guys coming off the bench that helps the roster and the rotation a lot. And then there was other thing that you had said that I wanted to hit on that I thought was really good um, that I totally agree on. Oh, did... Duquesne, I think Duquesne just proved that they're better. They're a better team. Yeah, we didn't plan or the first game, it felt like we didn't plan, but then they came out that second game and they just, they led us the entire time. They looked like how we looked like in the first half today. Like Davidson would has a small lineup. They can't hit free throws. They struggled to score. And then we would come down the, 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 like Cam Brown would come down the, the court and then score on the next play. No problem. And that was like, the story of the first half where it's like, wow, we, we really dominated this team. And in the second half, we, we just didn't stick to what was working. Um, and then Duquesne, as I wrote in a 10 talk, it was just like seeing this team a second time. We did the same thing. They are just a better team. Like they're just a better team. They, they, they have brought these transfers in that have just gelled together really well. And I think the big takeaway there is not to Pearl clutch. The takeaway from that game was, do we bounce back? And then unfortunately we did not. Um, so that's what makes it really tough is the fact that we're just pairing up losses and you don't want to do that. So, yeah. And it's, it was, it was such a good stretch. We were six and two going into that Duquesne game and seven and three after the Duquesne game. And we had a real chance to, like you said, beat a team that in the first half 
you could tell we were just more talented than they are. Foster Lawyer, as nifty and crafty as he is, there's there's no there's no one who thinks he's more talented than Eric Reynolds or more gifted than Rashir Fleming or you know better better stronger than Lynn Greer. I mean, he just is so smart that he, he was he was able to get himself back into this game. Like I I for the most of the game, I'd say 75% of the game I wasn't worried, but towards the end I I saw that, that Davidson just was the smarter team down the stretch. Yeah. It almost goes to what um John Gallagher was saying, it's like eye test. You can just feel the momentum of the game shifting in that second half. You could just tell like, oh man, we are struggling to stop them. We are struggling to score. We had a good defensive stop um, at, towards the end there to, um, I forget what, what exact minute mark there was, but there was times we buckled down on defense, did what we needed to, but it just not enough time um, to close it out. And then the other thing I want to mention is, what do you think of, speaking of Foster Lawyer, the Rashir Fleming Foster Lawyer defensive combination where we just put Fleming on him and Foster Lawyer did not look good in the first half. He looked terrible, but he found a way to find fouls in the second half, find his teammates and um, Fleming did the best he could. It was just very interesting defensive matchup. Foster Lawyer is just annoying. Like I see his face and it's like one of those faces that just annoys me. And like, as soon as I saw Rashir on him, I was like, Oh yeah, like Rashir, he can, he can defend him. But I know in the back of my head, Foster's going to make him do something he doesn't want to do. And that's exactly what he did. He drove into the lane and he got Rashir to hit him with his body, even though, like you're saying, yeah. Rashir, he just hunting for a foul. Yeah. yeah. Like he knows he, he makes you do things that you don't want to do. And he has such good body control, whereas Rashir probably has one of them. Like his, he's still learning how to use yeah. it. You could just tell he's like a string bean out there jumping around everything. Yeah. Um, but then he gets to do crazy, dunk, crazy blocks when with that athleticism. Um, and then Sam Mananga is always a problem for us. That guy is just big. <laughs> he finds a way to just get in that spot underneath the basket. He did it like four times in a row. You think he's traveling. He's doing like 20 head fakes. <laughs> You're going to get whiplash doing that. It was, I mean, he just went yeah. right to that spot against Fleming and Obina and just got the basket with a minute to go or whatever it was. Yeah, that the fourth pump fake got me too, Edge. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're jumping off your couch trying to block the shot. It was rough. Yeah. Edge K was like, Yeah, I, I did foul. I'm like, <laughs> That was tough. And yeah, I mean, just a tough game overall. But Davidson's record, like, Sort of what John Gallagher is saying, saying before, before this is like, yeah, they're 4-9 coming into this, but they're also a team that, that they can stick in games and you don't want to be in a game where you're you know, sharing, shooting three free throws against Foster Lawyer. Like, he's going to beat you. Yeah. Sam and and Foster, like, I mean, the Eric's a great from the line, but you don't want to get into that battle. Nope, nope, no, you do not. Um, and then we got a tough one against VCU coming up. Doesn't get easier, you know. So um, we're gonna have to find a way to beat St. Bonaventure. And then who else? Who's the last game? Richmond. We've got like at home. That's gonna be a tough one. Um, even you know, uh, we could do it. We could be on a four game, a five game losing skid if we're not careful. So um, really need them to buckle down. Give us a surprise win on on the what is it Wednesday. Tuesday, yep. excuse me. Games Tuesday. on Tuesday, the twenty first. Um, 
Happy so that, that's our Fat Tuesday celebration. Okay, folks, you know, Lent's coming up. Coach Gallagher was talking about the Holy Spirit. We're, we've got a very Catholic-centric show going right now. Um, your Fat Tuesday celebration should be a VCU win. That's what I'm looking for. Man. That would be that would be beautiful. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, so I think that's enough about that game. I wanted to talk about something real quick, and I, I told this to Pete and as we wrap up the show. We didn't want to add too much time to the end because really the interview was um everything. And we've been and let us know, by the way, fans, what you think about our show format. Because we've been changing it up this year. We've got the Twitter spaces with Matt Gifford. We got Matt Gifford just almost being our casual third co-host at this point. Shout out, Matt. This is a test if you're listening to every episode. And then um the Twitter spaces. And then we've we've had a ton more interviews this year, which is great. Like, but we've changed, we're changing the formats a lot less of, of Pete and I just rambling and rambling. It's it's we're trying to bring you the good stuff. We're getting ready for one where actually good. Oh, you know, next year we're, we're we're finishing finishing our product for next year when we're going to be you know top of the A ten. We're just getting ready. Okay. Yep, that's the thing. It's we were talking about that with Sully. You know, once the team gets good, the views start coming in. So we're we've primed the product. We've been in a research and development phase. We have angel investors looking at us very heavily, like Alsham. And so now the time has come where the product has been has been finished, and we just got to scale. Oh yeah, we. I got to get my venture capitalist. Like I got a phone call after this, after, after this <laughs> funding that's coming in. So. Oh, uh, Goldman Sachs. Hello. <laughs> Investing in the podcast sphere for small mid-major regional basketball. Hello, Sarah. I would like three hedge funds, three hedge funds. And we're all dumping it into name image likeness. We're taking the money. We're going to be the biggest stone. We would literally keep all our operations the same. We take the venture money and dump it into the top five players in the NCAA. Oh, yeah. Just take them all and bring them over here. Um, but we're priming, we're priming for our mixtape to be sent into 94 WIP. We need that hour-long show. We want that gig that Sully's got where we get we get the recorded hour on 94.1 WIP. And the reason why I'm bringing this up, because Pete knows what I'm about to talk about, is the very fact that the great Angelo Cataldi has retired. But there has been all this stuff coming out about Angelo Cataldi, um, like how they, he would used to, Phil Martelli used to be on Cataldi's show every Friday, Friday mornings with Angelo Cataldi. Um, and that was a good thing for the program. That was good for all of Philadelphia. Um, but like there is this uh, a friend of mine sent me this clip reading about like the show, how they would get it together. And pretty much I, I'm trying to read it here. He was like, and although we had some rocky moments, it eventually ended abruptly in 2012 because of Tom Brigby decided fire me from the station. So this is Cataldi writing about his history. Apparently I had overstepped my role as a producer when Glenn, Glenn Macnow told me that he was planning to talk about St. Joe's basketball on a show one day. And I warned him that Bigby had flipped out on Mike Missinelli the day prior during a commercial for breaking break for discussing the Hawks. Um, so I don't know what this clip is exactly from. I have to do some research and maybe we'll put it in the show notes, but pretty much here I'm hearing Clint McNow, who's a, who's a big Philly guy, Mike Missinelli, another one who was a flagship show on 97.5 at this time, probably on 94 because it's back in 2001. Um, and Cataldi, this is clearly one of his producers writing about his time there because Cataldi had been on the station well before 2001, but, um, the fact that this guy wrote, writes about the very fact that we're not allowed to talk about big five basketball 
on Philly Sports Radio irks me so much because we talked about this in the Twitter spaces. This is how you get the news out about the programs. This is how you fight back against these athletic directors who just want to say X, Y, and Z, and we hold them accountable, like when they had to walk that last statement back about the round-robin tournament. We need buy-in not only from our little podcasts or like little revolutionaries um, out in the internet with the Gola Standard and the the full 40. Great. We've got a thousand followers, but if 94.1 isn't talking about it, if 6ABC isn't showing, you know, a commercial about the game to, to broadcast it, if the schools aren't investing in that kind of marketing, I'll never know if the big five will make a comeback. And it was something we were mentioning. How are we going to evolve? Well, that's one way we're going to have to. So we're going to have to market it more. It's not just going to be word of mouth. Like it used to be. There has to be some, everyone's wondering what the answer will be and there just has to be in it. there has to be something yeah I, we haven't actually had a chance to, to talk about your thoughts on the big the city six uh, true decision what, what do you what do you feel about that like the whole like the two pods they play each other during the year and then the winners sort of play at the wells fargo and the losers play you know single day event I don't like it. Um, I am a traditionalist. Pete, you know this about me. I like tradition. It's the big five. I don't think Drexel should be in it. Um, My roommate went to Drexel. I will tell it to his face after the show that Drexel should not be in the big five. It should not be the city six. I think, um, look, I'm not opposed to them coming up with a new solution. And at the end of the day, while I'm against Drexel coming in, it's probably the way they're going to go. Fine. Some things are out of my control, but I, I do agree. No one's really talking solutions. A lot of people just like to talk about problems. And so for me, I do think that the solution, just like the solution for the program was more people in person, the more people we can get to games who can invest their time, it will be a better experience. More people will come to the program. That was my solution. And I know the school has never, that's a strategy, not a tactic. The tactics to get people in the building is a lot harder. We've done all these marketing campaigns. They've never really worked. Winning does bring people into the, the thing, but like, it's almost like we got to evangelize. Like you go to the game, bring a friend. You should, every time you go to a game, you bring someone new to the game, get them back in there, show them that it's a good time, etc. Okay. That's one idea for the big five. I think it is some some one of these schools, either LaSalle and St. Joe's needs to come together because they're the Atlantic 10 brethren, which I'm fine with pairing up with LaSalle. Pay the money for the advertising. Do it. It's worth it. Go to your boosters and be like, guys, we we have this X, Y, and Z name image, image and likeness. We're trying to get these recruits. But we need at least one commercial on 94-1 WIP once a week to highlight a big five game. That's what our boosters need to to chip in for. And and some of the boosters who have these connections at these schools, they need to do this. I don't have the power or the money to coordinate that. Someone with power, because at the end of the day, you do need it to, to accomplish things, needs to take control of it and not just donate to put their name on the building, but donate to make the tradition great. I'll give an example. Elon Musk... Mark Zuckerberg, they have not built a university. They have not spent their money to build universities and that kind of thing. The Vanderbilts, the Carnegies, they built universities. They spent their money on things that weren't going to be 
specifically profitable. Yeah, they're putting the name on the building, but they're building traditions and institutions that matter. So you could put your name on Hagen Arena, or you could put your name, well, there is a name on Hagen Arena, I guess, but you could put your name on all these different things. You can name the court after yourself. You can name the first row after yourself. But does having a seat in the building matter more than investing in the tradition of college basketball, investing in the ability to make it a bigger thing? Because when it's a bigger thing, when it's a bigger event on television, when it's a bigger event in person, that will have a benefit to the recruiting aspect of the program, to the overall feel of the program. Um, and that's what I believe in. I think we need, um, I think some booster who listens to the show should bring Pete and I in to do a speech <laughs> in person where we can just whip everyone into shape and tell them this is what we need. We need to invest in something that's bigger than just putting our names on the front rows at Hagen arena or the court or some bench that's near some part of the campus or something. I agree. I, I, um, I brought this up the other day. I think maybe I brought it up to you. Um, I think if we're not going to do big five and they really want to lean into something that would get, you know, get the marketing campaign out there, really get some money, I don't know if that's going to be the answer is going to be a game at the Wells Fargo where we have, you know, all the bit city six team play there. I think what the answer is there's, there's so much basketball in the state of Pennsylvania that is really like, there's really historic programs. Pitt's a really historic program. Penn state is trying to bolster their program, although they've never been to the tournament before and they're more of a football school, but you have buck now Lehigh. I say, get the city six or big five, keep it the big five. And we go the Keystone 10 invite pit, pit, Penn state, um, Bucknell, Lehigh, and then the city six, and then um, make it a multi-day tournament. Um, Sponsored by Keystone light, by the way, it mm. has to be. Yes. Thank you. Yep. But sponsored by Keystone light and Alsham. Al- and and uh, it, it would just be beautiful because Pitt has such a good rivalry with Villanova. I don't know. It just yeah, means- no, I agree. And this is the thing. It's like, I'm not going to crap on that idea. It's a, it's an idea. Like, yeah, it's an idea. It's just like most of our modern society. Who's going to take a risk and bring two young people into the room to come up with the big idea and and to lead the way in executing it? We need the resources. We've got the ideas. We, ha- we just need the resources. We don't have the resources. We are not resource rich. We are two people in the woods talking about basketball. And a few of you listen to us. But someone with power, because they have clearly run out of ideas, they have hit the road. Either you guys are going to lose the money, lose the tradition, it's not going to be there anymore, or you're going to risk it. You're going to build something because building things are harder than, is almost, or just as hard as maintaining. Why not take a risk? What do you have to lose? And so I think my final pitch in all this is Pete and I should be in that room. And if you don't invite us, then I don't know. If you don't invite, not even us someone who has some fresh ideas who's under the age of 35 who's under the age of 40 bring them in they will tell you what needs to be done um you don't have to worry about or worry about how do you how do you bring those youths into the building hire a couple of them they'll show you the way they'll show you the way then you can have said about better um you know kelly clarkson and you you both share that idea of just take a risk take a chance and make a change. And I think that's what the big five needs to do. I think the big five just needs to, to break away from, from the monotony of past. We need, we need, yeah. Radio. I'm like a bird. I want (laughs) to. 
fly far, far away from here after that Davidson loss. Jeez. Oh my gosh. I I like the Keystone Light Invitational sponsored by Keystone on the Alsham floor. But you Basketball have to court. be able to drink cans. You you have to be able to That's drink from a can. I don't understand why a Hagen you you have to pour the beer into a cup. I know. It takes so much time. You're you're wasting time. The little kid in front of me is trying to get a pretzel. I'm trying to get a beer. Just come on, pass me the beer can. We'll, we'll get it done. You know, I miss going to Hagen because they knew me, and you saw that they knew me at the beer stand, yeah, and I miss them. The same. They, they they knew what you wanted. They were like oh, a pretzel and a beer. Pretzel and a beer. Ring it. Ring it up. Bring it up. Thank you, ladies. That's a, that was a tasty beer. I'll have another one, please. Um, yeah, I miss I miss going to the games. It's a shame. Now I know how you felt all last year. It's no yeah. fun. It, it's it's tough not being there. Um, it's just a lot more fun when you're there in person. I think next year is going to be a lot of fun to go to the game. So we're going to yeah. get out to a few of them. We will. I was just uh, because I'm in Chicago now. Um, the Blurs, the Ramblers, uh, big that big fight about the Dayton fans talking about like the the crowd at, at I'm like, I think Loyola's got a decent sized crowd. I don't think what, I don't know what the issue was, but the internet's a crazy place. Yeah. You can just say whatever and people, you can say whatever you want on the internet. So yeah. Loyola's here for a long time. Although I, I wonder what conference alignment will look like 10 years from now. Like who knows how many teams will be in the A-10 if we'll have an A-10. Yeah. Oh, can I also talk about, and I'm sorry to extend this past where it needs to be, but you mentioned A-10 teams. Uh, GW, and this was per David Korn, fellow A-10 talk writer, for but he covers GW. The top 10 names potential for GW, I- I've got a problem. So let me read them out first. The Ambassadors, the Blue Fog, the Catalysts, Fireworks, Independence, Monumentals, the Revolutionaries, uh, Sentinels, Squad, and the Truth. I am the way, the truth, and the light. <laughs> That's what I'm here. I mean, John Wood, you know, the word was made flesh. These are terrible. They, they have nothing to do with George Washington. Maybe revolutionary. Okay. The cherry trees. Boom. How about some, but something, something that has to do with George Washington. I'm fine with the generals. I'm fine with, I don't know, what's another, name yourself Valley Forge. I don't know. But please make it George, George Washington. Please make it George Washington related. Do not be the truth. That makes no sense. Yeah, GW's got a hard decision. I mean, once you try, decide you got to change the name, you better change it to something good. The Blue Fog. How about the Swamp? I'm going to name it the Swamp. That'd be a good one. Um... So yeah, that's my gripe. I, I would just pick the generals and call it a day. The man was a general. Just go with it. Don't overcomplicate it. Please, please. It's not another ram. Like <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I would vote for the Rams. <laughs> we need another spider. <laughs> uh all right. Well, I think I think that's a good place to stop. Uh, we have Still more good basketball to come. March is arriving. March is almost upon us. Next time we talk, it'll be near the end of February. So uh, thank you guys for tuning in. If you're still with us, um, please let us know what you think about the show. 
Uh, we loved having Coach Gallagher on. It was just an awesome, awesome experience. Um, so thank you so much for listening. And as always, the hawk will never die. <laughs>